You're listening to TalkZone.com. Internet Talk Radio. It's time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the power vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. (gasps) Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of health care each and every day. That's the fact, Jack! Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, a hospital where George Clooney was treated, remember when he was knocked off his motorbike, has accused 40 staff members, including doctors, of inappropriately looking at the movie star's chart. What about medical confidentiality? National Depression Screening Day. Are we healthier, living better, living longer for the push underwritten by pharmaceutical companies to screen for depression today? We'll talk about depression from a whole body approach. We'll talk about natural, National Depression Screening Day. We invite your insight at 1-800-307-3002 right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now, the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. And in our effort to get to that healthcare news and views from credible sources that you won't hear anywhere else, gosh, this comes again from Duke University. They were the research scientists that recently presented that flaxseed help to stop prostate cancer cell growth in its tracks at a recent American Association of Clinical Oncology, yes, cancer doctor meetings that was being held in Chicago. Now Duke University research scientists have published a pilot study in the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management. Women with breast cancer, women with metastasized breast cancer, uh, who attended a yoga class once a week. What did they find? The yoga exercises, quote, demonstrated immediate benefits in significantly boosting daily invigoration and a sense of acceptance, improving relaxation, helping with pain, unquote. That with breast cancer, the most common cancer in women worldwide, why wouldn't we suggest to women that yoga could reduce pain, reduce fatigue, add more vigor, relaxation, and acceptance when they're faced with a very sobering diagnosis of breast cancer. Just a great study, thanks to research scientists at Duke University. Well, forget that old notion of your grocery list. I'm one of those, um, I love lists, I have to confess. I have lists <laughs> each and every day. It helps keep me organized and on track. And I never go into a health food store or any store, for that matter, without my ever-present list. But according to the International Food Information Council, forget your old notions of a grocery list. Many uh, consumers now pushing their carts through grocery and health food store aisles have heart health, better bones, and cholesterol counts on their minds as they shop for food. <laughs> uh, is that true? 
I mean, are you shopping the grocery store aisles on the basis of what's good for your bones and your uh, your heart as opposed to nutrition and budget and taste? They found that 53% of consumers look at food choices on the basis of heart and circulatory conditions, whether it was high um, um, blood pressure, heart disease, cholesterol, or stroke risk. Um, uh, what they found is that weight was mentioned by clearly one out of three consumers in terms of their food choices. Uh, cancer, 24%. That's huge. And diabetes, only 17% that many more of us are thinking of food in terms of health concerns. Gosh, my, <laughs> haven't things changed in the grocery store aisles these days? Well, it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't just last month that many parents, aunts and uncles and grandparents across the country were dealing with back to school and how many of us heard Oh, mom, oh, aunt, oh, grandma, I have to have these shoes. And they were expensive. Well, we'll be better armed next time round, thanks to some Scottish research who tested running shoes, finding that they fell into three price categories, low, medium, and high. And we're talking about in the high range, a pair of running shoes costing better than $105. People who buy expensive running shoes and the belief that these are less likely to cause injury, according to this uh, Scottish study, are deluding themselves that after masking the manufacturer's logo, after masking any other identifying tags on running shoes with tape, that scientists uh, slipped a thin pressure plate shaped like an insole into the soles, started measuring pressure, the idea to get an effectiveness of the cushioning in the shoe that manufacturers add to dampen the shock wave to the food. And how many of us think, whether we're looking for a walking shoe or a running shoe, that we want a good quality shoe, a shoe that is going to you know, support our foot and our weight, uh, you know, cushion the foot so you don't have problems with your feet and your knees and your hips and your back. And then they started asking volunteers to assess the mask shoes. What did they find? They found amazingly that um, even though uh, the the traditional mindset is you pay more for running shoes, you're going to get better quality, better shock uh, absorbance, uh, better um, um, quality, that the low-cost training shoes were just as good as the expensive one. Interesting, they also noted that for every footfall, Somebody who runs middle distances experiences an impact on their hips and their knees and their feet equal to two and a half times their body weight. This uh, force increases if you're running faster. So it's important to support your entire body with uh, good shoes, but know that the low-cost training shoes are just as good 
as the expensive ones. We've been talking a lot recently about testosterone. You can eat a high-fat meal. That qualifies for that Big Mac, large order of fries, and a milkshake can turn off the production of testosterone for about seven or eight hours after that high-fat meal. New scientists, the British Journal, has educated us that a combination of two phthalates, chemicals that soften plastic, innocuous um, respectively by themselves, but when added together, those two phthalates have a synergistic effect, in essence turning off the production of testosterone. Now a study that appears in the current issue of Current Anthropology. I've never seen the journal. <laughs> I have to confess. I'm sorry. Just not in my stack of favorite bath time reading. UNLV, Harvard, and Boston University looked at published data investigating the links between testosterone levels and marital status. And what they found is that married men, no matter how... Uh, what does uh, the, the talk show host, G. Gordon Liddy, says? Vigorous, virile, and potent they are. So married men, no matter how masculine, have lower testosterone levels than single men. You know, perhaps it is akin to what we find of women during fertile times that they uh, produce more hormones. Men, I guess, when they're trying to attract a mate, have higher levels of testosterone. They found that um, while a number of North American studies have shown lower testosterone levels among monogamous married men uh, compared with their single counterparts, no other study outside North America has observed this until now, that married men, no matter how masculine, have lower testosterone levels than single men, and testosterone is on the decrease the rates some 20 to 25% lower than they were just two decades ago, expected to go even lower. Why? Well, is it because we're getting more uh, chemicals in our environment and food packaging and animal uh, food that have higher testosterone levels that suppress it? Is it a combination of chemicals? We don't know, but um, lower testosterone is not necessarily a good thing because optimal testosterone is essential for heart health, bone health, sexual uh, uh, health as well, certainly muscle mass. And it is not just a male hormone. Females have it in a different ratio as well. So not a good thing that we're seeing lower testosterone levels than ever before. It is National Depression Screening Day. Even on college campuses around the country, pharmaceutical companies are underwriting an effort to screen America's individuals for depression. While we don't want to take it lightly, are we over uh, diagnosing it on Healthy Talk Radio? You're listening to Healthy Talk Radio, worldwide, whenever and wherever you need us at HealthyTalkRadio.com. Now, more with America's favorite healthcare care consumer, Deborah Ray. In honor of Free Depression Screening Day, Natural National Depression Screening Day, a thousand sites around the country are hosting Free Depression Screening. We talk about it today from perhaps a different viewpoint that you will see in most of the mainstream media. Because why I certainly concur that mental illness is every bit as real 
Um, and Syria says physical ailments. Let's, let's, let's just take a look at the whole scenario in perhaps a different respect. And as always, you're invited to join us. 1-800-307-3002. That's 1-800-307-3002. Many of these 1,000 sites to offer free depression screening today are on college campuses. I remember going to college. I know it was a long time ago, but I was there. And being away from home for the first time and all the the pressures of not only being away from home, of managing money, of managing a, a college study schedule, of uh, uh, all the interaction with the opposite sex. Of course, there were all the pressures of uh, partying all night and then trying to make uh, the English uh, uh, early class at 8 a.m. The point I'm trying to make is what was really brought home in two respects to me. A couple of years ago, the Science Times of the New York Times ran an interesting article that was a harbinger of what we recently heard. The most common written prescription in this country is a prescription for an antidepressant medication. There are more prescriptions written each and every year in this country for antidepressant medication than any other medication. And you think, wow, wow, what does that say about us? Well, it best says, I guess a, a book that best describes what that says, is Dr. Sally Sattel. She is a Yale-based MD, psychiatrist, she writes a number of op-ed pieces in the Wall Street Journal, probably best known for her books talking about how all of the downsides of political correctness have invaded nearly every aspect of American life, including medicine. And one of her most recent books, if not the most recent, is One Nation Under Therapy. Her premise is the same as this article in the New York Times, that somehow, in the last few decades of cultural conditioning in this country, of now the direct-to-consumer drug ads, we have the notion that the answer is in a pill. Of course, the nidus of that cultural conditioning started back in the 1950s in the golden age of medicine, the age of antibiotics, the cure, and what a boon it was. How many lives have been saved by antibiotics? Miraculous medical remedies. But just as we have experienced with many revelations, we take it to that baby boomer mentality. The mentality, if a little is good, a lot is better, and a whole lot is best of all. So we overused and abused antibiotics and now reap the ill-gotten rewards of that, the downsides of antibiotic-resistant bacteria, of hospital-acquired infections, of 106,000 people dying every year in this country due to these nocosomial infections, 100,000 amputations each year in this country because failure to heal wounds, many of them, with these antibiotic-resistant bacteria, one in ten patients in hospitals affected by bed sores. So 
we have a dilemma on our hands. We thought that a pill cured, only to find out that we are undergoing a mindset in not only in everyday lives, but in medicine as well. Why we thought of, and of course this was all back to the germ theory, and it fit for a number of years. Bugs were bad, whether they were bacteria or viruses or fungal bugs. The idea was to keep these bugs at bay. Yet nature's idea was to balance that approach, to have more good bugs than bad bugs. So the fallacy of the answer in a pill came all too soon. But what we are still in the midst of, and I say we're very much in the midst of, because just last week the state of Massachusetts revealed that they are doing a Medicaid overview in the wake of the the passing of a little four-year-old girl, four years old, Rebecca Riley, who passed away because of the prescription psychiatric medications she was taking in far greater doses um, and there was some talk of interaction in the body of a four-year-old taking very powerful psychiatric medications and I bring that up because in honor of free depression screening it is worthy of a discussion that as Dr. Sally Sattel speaks of in her book One Nation Under Therapy the cultural conditioning over the past few decades that the answer to feeling blue to feeling down to mild moderate or severe depression is in a pill and how that has now translated according to Dr. Sattel in a whole generation and generations to come of Americans who no longer believe that life's travesties and challenges and travails help make us better. You know, one of the the lasting memories I will always have of my upbringing was God doesn't give you what you can't handle, that you are better for that hard work, for those challenges, for those bumps along the way that sometimes seem overwhelming. But as my parents taught me, they're character builders. Don't be afraid of hard work. Don't be afraid of challenges. Yeah, it might seem overwhelming at the time, but you grow and mature and are the better for it in the end. And what Dr. Sattel speaks of in her book is One Nation Under Therapy is that we now have a an entire generation and of all the generations to come of thinking, oh, I'm a little down, oh, I'm a little blue, oh, a little bipolar, oh, a little manic. The answer is in a pill. Not what the article in the New York Times Science section delved into. They uh, dubbed it in terms of the British mentality, the pull up your socks, get on with it. You know, things are are bad. Things look bleak. Yeah, you're down. And, of course, many of us do suffer because of loss, of tragedies, of misfortunes, of situational depression. 
But what we're talking about today, in honor of National Depression Screening Day, is one, how do we diagnose depression? Two, what are your treatment options? Are there conventional options? Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, we find that underlying, if you go online and start to uh, take a look at this National Depression Screening Day, it is being underwritten by the very companies whose wares, whose products are directed to be prescribed for someone perhaps screened for depression, then sent to their physician for a prescription. What um, many laughingly or I guess bemusingly call pushing the sponsor's product. Does it cure depression? We'll examine the success of those treatments, all of those treatment options. It's National Depression Screening Day. We invite you to join us at 1-800-307-3002, right here on Healthy Talk Radio. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may be eye-opening, controversial, and disturbing to some closed-minded members of the medical community, but it is all well-documented and presented by credentialed guests as well as our knowledgeable host. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but hey, that's life. I'm Deborah Ray. You're listening to Healthy Talk Radio, where in honor of National Depression Screening Day, our topic at hand is to discuss depression. We write more prescriptions for antidepressant medication in this country than any other single classification of medications. So what's with the, the epidemic? What is with the situation that we now find that this total community conditioning that the answer's in a pill. Well, interestingly, if you read any of the holistically more functional books about depression, and there are many good books on the topic, um, let's see, the, the, the Strohackers, uh, Jim and Nancy Strohacker wrote a great book about uh, all of your uh, options when it comes to depression. Sid Baumol wrote a great book about depression. Dr. Harold Bloomstein wrote a great book uh, about depression. Um, any number of really good overall books that give us the perspective that feeling down, feeling blue, why it might be related to something situational, a loss, a tragedy. Often, feeling down, feeling blue is related to the body's function. And amazingly, there are scenarios of, for example, uh, certain food sensitivities. Uh, people who are sensitive to uh, uh, good foods or even uh, foods that might be questionable, like artificial sweeteners, will report when they stop consuming the food on a regular basis, it's like their mood lifts, all due to reactions to foods. There are other scenarios where we find, for example, low-functioning thyroid. Again, when thyroid function is restored, people will say, oh my goodness, I didn't realize I was so down, so blue. Imbalances of nutrients. In particular, we find certain key nutrient deficiencies, magnesium deficiency, often linked to feeling down, feeling depressed, 
the point I'm trying to get across is that the average one of us in this country, when we suspect, you know, I'm just feeling down and it's just, I'm just not pulling out of this, are often screened in a physician's office or screened at one of a thousand sites across the country today who are offering free depression screening with the idea in mind that a prescription will be written out for medication and why the medications absolutely have their place as part of an overall treatment program. How many times have low-functioning thyroid allergic reactions, imbalances or deficiencies of minerals. In other words, underlying functional causes of depression never been addressed because it was all too easy. Limited time with the patient. Um, you know, Perhaps yesterday a pharmaceutical salesman stopped by with some free samples of the latest antidepressant medication. The medical school education of that practitioner what was researched and printed in the local journal was influenced by sponsors' uh, uh, dollars, led that practitioner to a scenario that rather than looking at you as a whole, looking at function, your body's biochemistry that may have resulted in uh, a depressed state and addressing those underlying causes It was the standard of care, as well as all too easy, just to write out a prescription. So we now write out more prescriptions for any depressant medication than any other single classification of drugs. Staggering. Staggering from many scenarios. One, you think, oh my goodness, look at the market segment of the, the billions, just the B billions related to these prescriptions. Two, think of the cultural conditioning of someone, say, for example, on a college campus today who sees National Depression Screening Day, who perhaps says, you know, I, I just can't shake this. I think, I think I'll get screen and then they're referred and a prescription is written and as we know many of those medications particularly the serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors the SSRIs very difficult to stop taking those medications so that subtle cultural conditioning that the answer is in a pill And if you take a look at the whole field of orthomolecular psychiatry, you know, interestingly, this specialty of orthomolecular psychiatry is actually older than our current allopathic model of psychiatry. And with the psychiatry model these days increasingly being scrutinized, by members of that profession who say, oh my goodness, we, we seem to be completely slanted to the prescription pad rather than working with the patient, screening the patient, looking at the patient's overall uh, mental, biochemical, uh, nutritional, medical status. 
talk therapy, cognitive therapy, to just in, prescription, out, very quickly. Come back for meds monitoring on a regular basis. And the American Psychiatry Association. Wow, I've read the news reports. Books like um, Dr. Marsha Engel's book, a former editor-in-chief of the Journal of the American Medical Association, uh, the book of Dr. Jerome Kassir on the take. Talk about of any single specialty in medicine. Psychiatry appears to be one of the most vulnerable. In fact, the largest numbers of dollars spent by pharmaceutical companies to influence this specialty to the prescribing pad. Yet we've had a well-known psychiatrist, Dr. Daniel Amen, A-M-E-N, join us on the air. He's written any number of books, including one that I found intriguing. Change your mind, change your life. And what Dr. Daniel Amen has to say is that they're virtually... No objective diagnostic tools in psychiatry. There are certainly screening tools, summaries, panels, surveys of patients, but they're subjective. You know, questionnaires that you run through with the patient that lead to a very much subjective diagnosis of depression. When other specialties can count on blood tests or scans or um, uh, scopes as diagnostic tools, psychiatry remains a very subjective specialty. What Dr. Amund's focus is these days is let's take a look, thanks to the functional magnetic resonance imaging scans, the brain scans, and say, wow, brains look different in patients who have frank mental illness. And the hosts the orthomolecular psychiatry specialty that was initiated, developed, fostered, educated, and researched for the last, ooh, gosh, 55 years, started back in 1952 Thanks to a psychiatrist, Dr. Abram Hoffer, a Canadian psychiatrist, who began to look at the nutritional differences, the nutritional status differences of schizophrenic patients, finding that he cured a significant number of uh, schizophrenic patients with niacin, vitamin B3. And he began to identify very eloquently subtypes of schizophrenia who had different biochemical profiles that responded to orthomolecular supplementation, the science of nutrient-based supplementation, looking at our individual needs for nutrients, our individual deficiencies and imbalances of nutrients, special needs in terms of how we're taking care of our genes. And most of all, treating patients, in fact, decades now in remission, 
by rebalancing their body's chemistry thanks to the eloquent science of orthomolecular psychiatry. Books like Dr. Michael Schachter's recent book about depression, Dr. Abrams Hoffer's book, Putting It All Together, and his recent autobiography as well, Dr. Richard Kunin, K-U-N-I-N's books, um, oh, Dr. Bradford Weeks uh, out of the state of Washington, just brilliant orthomolecular psychiatrist who have forever changed and offered to you and me as healthcare consumers a very viable science-based model, an alternative of sorts to the current allopathic model of psychiatry devoted to the prescribing pen. And thanks to websites like www.orthomed.org, orthomed.org, we can read about orthomolecular psychiatry, find practitioners in our area, educate ourselves through books like Dr. Schachter's and Dr. Hoffer's and um, Sid Baumel's and the Strohacker's. That depression is our body telling us something. And if we rush to the prescribing pen, we might address the symptom. And that's sometimes very important because the the end result of untreated major depression, suicidal thoughts, and even perhaps acting on those thoughts, so tragic to consider. If we fail to take a look at your respective individual orthomolecular needs, what we now see, thanks to an unveiling in the the mass media, for example, some of the antipsychotic medications, the Zaprexa drugs, cause patients to gain better than 30 pounds in two years. So a patient might be schizophrenic. The doctor might rush to the prescription pen, treat the patient with Zaprexa. After all, the pharmaceutical companies talk about it's the the latest, the best, the newest, the most improved medication approach, only to find out that that patient, because of the side effects of the medication, is now dealing with obesity and diabetes and is never treated some of the very basic biochemical reasons behind schizophrenia. That as long as we have this symptom-oriented approach in psychiatry, how many patients' lives are forever changed by the prescription pen? What is the message, the cultural conditioning of our present generation of college-age students and future generations who think the answer is in a pill. Dr. Sattel, in her book, One Nation Under Therapy, says it best, we lose that fundamental, unique American, unique Yankee, entrepreneur, know-how, pull up our socks, just that that whole sense of can-do 
We become a victim nation. We become a land of litigation looking for the deep pockets that we're the victim consuming massive amounts of medication. And look at the success rate of the medication. Exercise as effective as medication for moderate, mild to moderate depression. Exercise. And if we address the lifestyle of the person who's feeling depressed, there's side benefits rather than all the downsides of taking prescription medication. It's National Depression Screening Day. We invite you to join us, 1-800-307-3002, 1-800-307-3002. We invite you to join us on Healthy Talk Radio. Hey, you. Yeah, you. You want to know more about health care than your doctor does? Then you should be listening to Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray. National Depression Screening Day, and in honor, our, our focus today, and as always, we invite you to join us at 1-800-307-3002. Well, we spoke of orthomolecular psychiatry, the work of pioneering physicians, uh, Dr. Abram Hoffer, Dr. Richard Coonan, Dr. Bradley Weeks, uh, and others, so, so many others, and you can uh, find them again at orthomed.org. Um, the opportunity to talk about any number of science-based nutrients. That, for example, if we were depressed and living in Germany, uh, practitioners might speak with us about St. John's Wort, about S-adenosylmethionine, or SAMI, might uh, try us on 500 milligrams of niacinamide three times a day. Or the molecular psychiatrist in this country uh, might take a look at screening us for poor-functioning thyroid, for mineral imbalances, iron deficiency, magnesium deficiencies, heavy metals, allergic conditions, might try us on low-dose dilantin therapy. There are many treatment options, is the point here. There is no one right way that from time to time, bad things happen, tragic things, sad things happen. We have situational depression. If it is long-term and protracted, absolutely seek the advice and care of a knowledgeable practitioner. Keep in mind always, in fact, read some of Dr. Daniel Amen's book, Change Your Mind, Change Your Life, that all too often this effort of helping the public by National Depression Screening Day is very subjective. In other words, it's not black and white. It's often slanted because of the vested interest of sponsors. And anonymous mental health screenings, an effort to educate members of the public on the symptoms of depression, the warning signs of suicide, the appropriate course of action to take. Nobody can tell you what's appropriate for you. Read books on the topic. If after you know a total body look by an appropriate healthcare practitioner, you might be suffering 
from mild or moderate, even severe depression, to take a look at all your treatment options, to make an informed decision about what's best for you. Look at risk, look at benefit, look at long-term health challenges, because getting off some of the prescription medications, why they might be of benefit in the short term, you need to know to make an informed decision about long-term consequences. National Depression Screening Day. Our thanks to have you join us. If you missed anything, HealthyTalkRadio.com. I'm Deborah Ray reminding you, live long, stay healthy. 